This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition. No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. <laughs> It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Yeah, that's my love She hides away like a ghost Ooh, does she know that we think the same? Ooh, don't wanna cry but I'll break that Sawete, mihi nomen est, Stella, at hoc est, Backworld the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 223 for July MMXXII. Backworld the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Welcome to, I guess, the height and the heat of summer. <laughs> Europe is in a heat wave. Tarmacs in, I think, the UK are melting. And so airports are being shut down. It's about to be 97 degrees. I think it was supposed to be like between 99 and 100 this weekend. It's insanity. That's why I just I want to live in the north so bad so I can just have cool weather, cold weather, actual winters, that sort of thing. But I am wearing kind of a uh, Hawaiian shirt. You've got gold flamingos on there to at least celebrate. 
But speaking of Europe, hello. <laughs> I just got back basically from my 14 day trip to Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. Though Switzerland became, uh, came before it almost, it basically went Germany, Switzerland, Germany, Austria is how the itinerary went, which I'll talk a bit about. But I don't remember. I remember that episode being pretty quick and, and just produced quickly and put out so I could get that out there before I left. But I may have mentioned I was nervous about it. I wasn't super excited just because it had been something that was planned a couple of years ago before COVID. And then just like things have changed. I was in a different emotional state, obviously, because of my job. And then I was also doing grad school and I couldn't do a summer semester. And so it kind of puts me behind. So it's just all these like unfortunate negative things. Didn't know two of the travel companions, all of that stuff. So I was just really reticent and anxious about it. Not sure, you know, what's it going to be like to be with my father in a foreign country because, you know, he likes to talk to strangers and will he's basically, you know, that guy. Have I said this before? I feel like I'm repeating myself, but you know, those commercials of don't be your parent. And there's this guy that's sort of helping people out. I mean, he is someone that needs to be in that class. And it turned out to be an amazing trip. And I am grateful for my father for taking me with him and just blessed to have experienced two countries I've never been to before and new cultures and things like that. And I also was saying to everyone, don't know if I said this to you all, that I didn't know where we were going. It was all going to be a surprise. It wasn't really my trip in the sense of my hands weren't in it that much. So I just thought, you know, this is great. I normally take control of all of these trips. I know where we're going, da, 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 da. As you know, from my New York City, <laughs> fun uh, travel logs that I had given. So... It was surprising when I ended up, I would say, basically, you know, kind of taking control of of the trip. I, you know, I, I was with three retired people, three seniors, basically, and to be the one person who had been to Europe, been to countries and cities that were similar and set up to where we were going quickly understanding the the train system because that was how we were getting from city to city. It was mainly by rail and culture wise and just feeling very comfortable in Europe. I, I was, I don't know how it happened, but it quickly happened. <laughs> so basically I would just walk with precision, with attitude, with purpose. And then the three of them would be behind me. And it quickly, like, I don't know how it happened. I guess it was just because I had that confidence. But even from the first city, they're like, you know, why don't you lead us around? I had never been to any of these places. And so either with a map or without a map, I would just go. I mean, part of the opportunity of going somewhere is figuratively getting lost in a city. And I just like to walk and see what I can see. And you discover really fun things. And of course, if you're going someplace and you know in advance, it is good to have an idea of what you could potentially do. But some of these places, we were just there for a day. And it was just, you know, on the itinerary said sightseeing. So it's hard because, you know, there was like a parliament bu building that I wanted to go to 
in Bern, I think it was. And, oh, you need a reservation. So it's kind of hard because, well, I wouldn't have known that I need a reservation and I wouldn't have known there was a parliament building necessarily. So un- until I had actually seen it, but yeah, I would just walk and I also have a pretty good sense of direction as, you know, my travel companions would tell you from New York. So I would keep track of, of where we were going, which was interesting because there was one, I think it was Salzburg, Austria, where we were walking back to the hotel and my dad was like, behind us. This is the end of the trip. So he should not have said that. So it did frustrate me a bit, but he said, does anyone know where we're going? And I stopped and turned around. I was like, yeah, I know where we're going. So, oh, it's very interesting. And yeah, I, I just love walking. And what's amazing in Europe is the churches, which is really interesting because, you know, you can go obviously look around and the outside and the inside of churches in Europe are just really beautiful and you can go inside and sometimes you can take photographs. Sometimes you can't, obviously it's still a sacred place. So you want to be respectful and be quiet, which I did have to tell the, my companions like, Hey, you know, whisper. Cause they were using like regular voices, but you know, here in the United States, if you're, if you wanted to go see like, a, I don't know if you saw a Baptist church on the side of the road, you can't just stop and walk in there. So it's very interesting to see that sort of uh, difference between America and Europe. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but I often forget, especially because it was 14 days and many of these stops were one day trips or stops and then maybe two. And it was a luxury if we had to. I often forget what my trips are. And so I journal about it. So just so I can remember, but I did download right before I started here, my itinerary. So I can always tell you about where I went uh, very quickly. And if there were any highlights from that in particular, and if I remember anything that stands out, I will say just before I start this, that on the flight over, I watched predators was it called predators no predator the predator it was whichever one was the most recent they attempted to do kind of a a soft reboot and i had recently been talking about this with harry because we had been playing predator fire team hunting for what is it called predator hunting ground and i'm like oh well you know it's free on here so i'll just watch it so it was edited not for violence but for language and at one point the comedic guy is it peel or is it the other one i can't remember his name now but anyways the comedic guy he is saying something uh to get the Punisher, Thomas Jane, all riled up. And they didn't bleep out, but they dubbed over vagina and to say VJJ. Wait, was it VJJ? I think it was VJJ. And now I enjoy using VJJ or hoo-ha. Hoo-ha is probably my favorite. But the fact that they had to edit that was super frustrating. And so now I'm beginning to think to myself, I probably shouldn't use hoo-ha anymore because I'm just adding to this idea that vagina is a bad word. And it, it was just 
so, so weird that you would edit out vagina, but you wouldn't edit out a man's head getting blown off or a man's legs getting cut off by a shield. So all I have to say to that is vagina, vagina, vagina. (laughs) And I could go on and give a bunch of other terms because they're all just like body terms. I don't know what the difference is between penis and vagina and even testicles. People say that easily. So I should just keep on going and say vulva and labia and clitoris and uterus and fallopian tubes and cervix. And what am I forgetting here? I'm sure. (laughs) I guess that's enough. But before I get too far off, there you go. So day one, the flight, there you go. It connects to the flight because that was one of my in-flight films. We arrived in Frankfurt and then we drove to Heidelberg and we basically just had some sightseeing there. Next day, we stayed in Freiburg and I can't remember what we did in Freiburg without my journal. Day three, we did a tour of the Black Forest, which is huge. So it was really three towns that were within the Black Forest, Lake Titisi, which was beautiful. And it was a place that I would just like to stay at that lake. We did a little tour around the lake, which was nice. Danaushingen, which I still can't, whenever I'm talking to people about this one, I number one, can't remember the name and number two, can't remember what was special about it. And then the third one was Treeberg. And this was where I almost killed three of my companions, which of course I only had three because this town was on a very steep incline. And what is well known about this place is a waterfall, highest waterfall in Germany. I'm like, yes, let's do it. So we're walking up. It's pretty tough. I'm losing my dad. And we encounter someone at a bus station and ask, oh, how much farther to get to this waterfall? She's like, oh, you're almost there. So we weren't almost there, which I heard about multiple times. And we get to the place, which is the start to walk towards the waterfall. So it wasn't even once we got to the top of this area, we're at the waterfall. Now we've got to actually go up. So my father's done. He's going to wait for us. Then we do this, this sinusoidal, or that's probably a meandering path. It almost reminds me of the word bostrephanization, but that's basically what it was, like a cow meandering. And uh, it just goes up and up and up. It was pretty intense. And we saw the waterfall, but I didn't know at the time that that was a waterfall. So my other two companions were like, okay, we'll wait for you. I continue going up, up, up. It gets really intense. And then I come out on a parking lot and I was like, what? Where's the waterfall? So then I come down, realize this was the waterfall. I think I had unrealistic expectations, perhaps are realistic because I lived in New York. I've been to Niagara Falls a couple of times. So that's what I expect. It, it was so, it was beautiful. But once I sort of brought my expectations down, it made, I was like, oh, here's this waterfall. Now I know why it's really high because this town is really high. We all survived, luckily. That one was actually really close in almost being a disaster because of some train situations. And I went to go ask and he's like, this guy said, well, I'm about to leave, da, 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 da. but the next train, you know, is leaving in like three minutes or something. And good thing I went there because I was thinking, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Should I go to the bathroom first or talk to this attendant? And I ended up talking to the attendant and then I had to run over. I'm like, track six. And so they, they all ran over and we made it, but that was a, an interesting situation. And speaking of 
language wise, we did okay. I mean, obviously German is the prime language of Germany and then Switzerland, depending on where you are, you may have German or you may have Italian or French and then Austrian and and German over there. But English, you were to a certain extent able to find people that would be able to help you. So we managed okay. And if I stay in now, obviously Latin major. So the romance languages are easier for me to figure out, especially Italian. I can do very well in Italy, but because those German hordes, we weren't able to get them under control. There's really no connection, but staying in a place for a while, I start to recognize words and get a sense of what's going on, but it's hard because then we left and then we came back. So you have to reorient yourself, but all that to say, we were able to manage. Okay. Language wise, we went to burn on day four, day five and four. I think burn was where there was this huge storm that happened and I, oh, I think there were, oh, yes, I'm remembering this now. Okay. There, there was like a bear park in Bern and there was a rose garden. And so I remember separating from them. I think maybe they were doing something else or maybe napping, which is another, it was really kind of my father who let me go off on my own. So often like the first half of the day, I would stay with them and then they would need a bit of a CS or, or a rest. And then I would normally go off on my own while they were resting. And that was just nice that I could do things of my own speed and also just recover from being with three other people for, you know, a large amount of time. So it brought my, my energy back. So burn, I went to the Rose Garden and then got some gelato and then went and sat down and there's this river that runs through burn and people were not tubing. They basically just gave you, I don't know, this like floatable log and people were going just floating around that, that river was running and I was sticking my feet in there and then, Oh, starting to rain, reading my book. Papillon was my travel companion and little drops. And then by the time I got near to the city center, full on downpour. And so there was really nothing, nothing you could do, but run. And luckily I had my, my rain jacket because I was prepared for this, but I had to put my book bag like inside and then zipped it up and then raced. And I was soaked, but that, that was a, that was a fun time. Five and six were <sighs> interlock in Switzerland. So beautiful. I cannot even talk to you about this. If you're following me on Twitter, then you would have seen stuff that I have posted, but it was just so beautiful. The lakes were so beautiful. You could have done, I can't remember what it's called now, but you, oh, there it is. The Jungfrau Jok the top of Europe. And that was actually where they shot some of Spectre where James meets his lady love for the first time at that clinic or whatever. So you could go up there, but I was ill-prepared. So next time, because I definitely want to just come back and spend a week there, I will bring boots and a parka because it's winter up there. And it is the adventure capital of Switzerland. You can do parasailing, which we saw many of those skydiving. There are zip lines. There's white water raft. Like all of this is just like screaming for Stella to return and just spend an amazing time and just or relax at the lake, which would just be amazing. Lucerne, which there was there was an issue and that was because of the travel company. But we had some time in Lucerne and I'm trying to think. I think we were just walking around in Lucerne, Zurich. Oh, Lucerne, we did like a little uh, city tour on 
a little, I don't know, even know how to really describe it, but it's almost like an adult version of those trains that you see in malls for kids and it would go around and everything. We went to Zurich and there was a four hour tour and we even got to take a cable car to Falzenegg and also a ferry ship across Lake of Zurich. Went to Munich and there were three days in Munich and we, one of those days we got to see two royal castles, Linderhof and Neuschwanstein Castle, which were both Ludwig II's castles. And those were great. And the second one is, I think, known as like the Disney Castle or Walt Disney Castle, because that's what Walt Disney had seen and gave him the inspiration for what we see in the beginning of, of Disney. And the third day we went to Nuremberg. And this is just one of those examples of... We just walked around Nuremberg and that day I wasn't feeling too well. And I ended up staying a bit later in Munich. I separated from my group and then came uh, a bit later to Nuremberg. But that one, because I'm, I'm only disappointed in that I didn't get to see and we didn't get to see any concentration camps. I think that would have been really impactful if we had been able to see one. I I think that probably everyone should should see something just so we can keep that memory alive that the Holocaust did happen. And then because of Nuremberg, I was interested in sort in in the connection, obviously, to the trials and it being a center of Nazism. And those were like distant from the city center. So it would just involved a bit more planning. And then, of course, if you get there, what if you needed reservations. So that's just one of those things that had I been my had my fingers been a bit more within this pie, I think I would have done some more research on that. And I will say I think it was on day eight, I guess the first day we were in Munich, I found out that there was a football stadium very close by farther away than I originally thought, which was for FC Bayern Munich. And I ended up going there and going on a tour, which that was, uh, it's the only time I'll complain about the transit system because the underground looked when I went in there because I knew what I had to do. It was like, oh no, this is New York city because the line that I needed was like closed off. And then I had to do all this crazy stuff. So then I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. This is not going to work out. So then I was running around. I'm like, okay, I need to find a taxi. So luckily I found a taxi because I went to a, a place. That taxi ride was 50 euros. So that was expensive, I have to say. But the tour was very cool. I didn't get there in time enough for me to go through the museum and take my time. And so... I had to kind of race through, but being on that tour was fun. I met someone from Uganda. We bonded over, well, he was born in Uganda, but he and his family had moved to Munich and we bonded over our love of Manchester city, which was fun. So just finding, yeah, finding another kindred spirit and, and making friends, which was pretty cool. And yes, uh, so after Munich, we went to Salzburg and we had a four hour sound of music tour and got to see not all of the places where they filmed, but a vast majority of places that they filmed the sound of music, which is really interesting. It started to rain then as well. And then we went to Vienna and oh, before I should say Salzburg, we were at the train station in order to go to Vienna. 
and two, well, three people passed and one person that passed, I, and it's going to sound really weird, but I like recognized her eyes and I was like, oh my gosh, I think that was someone who is on the Austrian football squad and does some content for We Play Strong on YouTube. And if that was her, then I 100% know who the other person was with her that I know more so. It's just that I recognize this one person person's eyes um, because they're just very striking against her tan complexion. So I decided, I guess, to, to channel my father. And I just thought, you know, this is, this is strange. I'm going to talk to strangers and bother people. Maybe it's an American thing to do, but when, what other time am I ever going to be in this situation that I can talk to some female football players and um, you know, people that I respect so I ended up walking over there as I get closer. It was definitely Sarah Zadrasil. And it's one of those things where you get close enough, but at a distance. And so like Sarah had seen me and made eye, but just like still talking to her companions. And then because I hadn't been going and I was still like kind of awkwardly standing, then they all turned their attention and I, you know, apologize for bothering them, but just told them to keep up the hard work and thank them for their content on We Play Strong. And they were definitely on their way to the airport to go to the Euros. And good thing I didn't ask them. I should have said, you know, are you going to the Euros? But good thing I, I did not ask them whom they were playing first because they played England first. And England is certainly the team that I root for. <laughs> so, and they, they did beat them. So I'm, that would have been awkward because I, I, I could have said good luck, but you know, uh, so that was just very cool to see. Yeah. Sarah's at and Laura, I don't want to mess up her last name, but they're like BFFs. And I'm, I was very happy to see that they were BFFs in real life and not only on the YouTube. So we went to Vienna and we had 48 hours in Vienna. And that's another city that you want to spent probably at least a week. So we were given a, a 48 hour card where we could basically use all transportation and give you discounts also on museums and shops and things like that. And theaters. And I mean, it's like a cultural capital of Austria. We were outside of the city, so we did have to take the underground to get there, but we ended up doing one of those big bus tours. So we got the red and the blue and we did the red, got off a couple of times to see some churches and then the next day, like basically my dad was like, I'm, I'm done. And so I decided to go back and do the blue. And then I went and did a tour of Mozart's apartment. That was a guided tour. And yeah, there's just so much there that it's just impossible to squeeze that in for, for two hours. And it was starting to get hot again because it was like hot in the beginning of the trip. And then it, it was temperate, especially in Switzerland. And then of course the rain helped and then it just became hot again. And then that last day is, is when we went back home and that flight, I watched Scream, Blue Bayou, which embarrassingly I, I cried. Hope you know, you hope no one's like watching and Days of Thunder. And I can't remember. I feel like I watched a second film on the way over, but I can't remember what it was. I remember seeing Black Swan was on there and I thought, oh, I, I haven't seen that in a while. I wonder if it would 
uh, impact me differently. But then I also thought, you know, do I really want to watch Black Swan with my father next to me? And you know that people can see your screen. And also, why would you put Black Swan on there knowing a particular scene that happens? But that that was my trip. I will also say that every time I go, I'm sure something will pop up that I've I've forgotten to talk about. But when I go to another place, I, and this is, I think, true anywhere. I don't want to look like a tourist. I think dress-wise, I'm going to dress however I want to dress. That's just me. But I, yeah, I don't really want to have a map or a phone out, that kind of thing. I mean, sometimes you need to have a map out. But other times, yeah, just be be confident in your knowledge, hopefully not in your unknowledge. But I, I sometimes think it's dangerous to look like a tourist because I think people prey upon those I am happy to say that I was successful because at least three times people stopped me and asked for directions. And one time it was in English and that was like, he just asked me like, which is this going, is this underground going to dot da da? And I was like, yes, it is. And then two other times were in a different language. And one of the time, I mean, both of them, obviously I asked whether they spoke English the one time, which was in Munich, actually, I was on the way back to the hotel. And I realized after they left me that they were probably two French girls because of how close they got to me. And only the French do that. They get like right on top of you. But it was interesting because I was just walking straight ahead. I don't really, I try not to make eye contact with the people. And they were like going my path. I thought what's about to happen. And they asked basically to get to the underground. And so I was giving them directions to the underground. And I also told them, hey, you know, be careful. It's all messed up, as I told you. And then I was like, well, actually, you know, I have this map here, which I had been using. I'm just about to go back to the hotel. Do you want it? And uh, I just opened it up and like showed them where they were on the map at that point in time and then where to go and and then sent them off. So I, I guess that's success. If people think so much that you're blending in that you might know where you're going, there you go. So I think that was it. Survived, had a lovely time. Yeah, my father and I, I think, bonded. We had a serious discussion at one point. I think it was good. And yeah, there you go. And now I know I want to go back to interlocking. So, oh, man. Well, this, I guess, proves Carolyn's point. At one point, she had said that she was listening to some podcast and recommended to me. And she said, they're, you know, they're short, they're 20 minutes. I was like, oh, 20 minute podcast. I remember when my show was 20 minutes and she guffawed and said, your show has never been 20 minutes. Your intros alone <laughs> are 20 minutes. And that's what I meant, folks, about when, when I visited her and when she visited me, why it's NC-17 is because she is a bully. Because, you know, the, she was concerned that people might think we were like hanky-panky or something. I promise. No hanky-panky. No queer baiting over here. You know what I think about Dinah and Babs? Now, Carolyn and I may have a shipper name. Maybe it's Sterilyn. Maybe it's Carella. Carella? Care- hmm. I don't know. We're still working on that. But I promise you... That was not what NC-17 was about. It's that she's just a mean individual who makes me cry because she says mean things to me. So whenever I say NC-17, it has nothing to do with anything like that. Okay, so find your joy. Shags, Mac and Cheese of Comfort and Joy. I have finished Stranger Things. I'm not a super fan of Stranger Things like I know a lot of people are, 
But I, and this was uh, the darkest season by far, but I was certainly intrigued. And it's also one of those things that you just need to watch very quickly or else you'll get spoiled because, you know, you, the Kate Bush thing was everywhere and Max floating in the air was everywhere. And then I was super worried about Max because she was my favorite character. And then you see Chrissy and what happened there. And then you connect the two and you're like, oh my gosh. But Eddie is certainly a standout. And it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I think my favorite part, because they were obviously four corners of the globe there uh, it was certainly everyone in Hawkins. I think that those scenes were probably the best. Others were not as exciting. The Resident Evil series, which just came out on Netflix, is really good. And I particularly like the relationship between the sisters and the past scenes, I think, are stronger than the present or future scenes. But I recommend that. There are fun nods and Easter eggs to the actual, you know, Resident Evil games and things like that. And I guess maybe they've been getting mediocre reviews, but I do hope they get picked up for a second season because I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, I've given my two weeks notice for the job, the prison, as I like to call it. So August 7th is my last day. I'm super excited. I just got accepted as a full-time school-based substitute at a high school in the public system around here. Not Tom's. That would have been awesome if we could work together, but alas, it was not to be. And so basically this job, I just walk into the school every day and I'm told where to go. So it'll be good to be back in the school environment for sure. And hopefully it'll be more edifying and also that I will make friends and not have what happened here. I think it, it was just a blip because it's, this has never happened to me before where I've been like a persona non grata or the detested person of the group. That's not me. I would never describe that as myself. So let's, let's wash that away. So it's the seventh, and then I've given myself two weeks to sort of cleanse and become whole again, and then start this new job. So congrats to me. And yeah, hopefully good luck to me as well. Just that transition into the public sector after the private sector is going to be interesting, but I'm looking forward to it and whoo. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Okay, so enough of the preamble, which was a long one. So there you go, Carolyn, you were right. I've got, what, five quickies, six quickies? Nightwing. I just wanted to do a chunk of Nightwing. I think we're getting close to the thing that happens in Grayson's run. And also Donovan has told me there's some sort of heavy conversation between Dick and Cass haven't encountered it yet, but I'm going to look at Nightwing 80 through 85. Just really quick, as you know, I just give the publisher synopsis, which all of these are coming from comicsology slash amazon.com. I'm not really sure how that works. I guess Amazon is kind of the, the mother over that now, but 80, Venn Diagram Part 1, Deathstroke's in town and he's here on business. Can Nightwing stop the DCU's premier Terminator from taking out his target, a target who's close to home for Dick Grayson, who happens to be Amy? Alfred calls Dick to remind him that it is Bab's birthday coming up. And Dick also remembers that he meant to call her and apologize. So that's not good when you need a reminder <laughs> that that your girlfriend whom you love, her birthday's coming up terrible. Okay. 
Nightwing 81. Nightwing's been shot. With our hero out of commission, it's up to Batgirl to track Deathstroke the Terminator through the streets of Bloodhaven. She's fought and won against the very best in the DC Universe, but can Batgirl take down the Terminator? Venn Diagram Part 2. So, yes, Dick is shot by Deathstroke, and he's now in the hospital. Practically the whole family is there, including Dick, Alfred, Cass, and Babs, and many of them are telling him to leave Bloodhaven PD, which is very interesting because it's not just Barbara nagging him now. Dick gets cast to do some investigating, obviously, on who is supposed to be assassinated. And she ends up running up against Deathstroke and actually holding her own. But probably Dick should be fired because he told Cass to do this without Batman's permission. And Cass should be fired because, remember, Batman told her to stay away from metahumans and people like Deathstroke. So... I don't know what the tally is. If I had the ability slash the energy to make these videos really popping, I would have, you know, someone or me, I suppose. It's not like I'm going to hire an editor, do a, a check mark of how many times each of these individual characters should have been fired by Batman. But hey, it only took one for Stephanie Brown. Okay, Nightwing 82. As Venn Diagram concludes, Nightwing's been shot, but that's not going to stop him from trying to save his former police partner, Amy Rohrbach. To rescue Amy, he's going to have to stop his old foe, Deathstroke, and no Babs in there. 83. Amy knows Dick Grayson's secret, but what will she do with that information? Will she turn her former partner into the Bloodhaven PD? Will she turn a blind eye to his nocturnal activities? Whatever the outcome, Dick's life will never be the same. So Dick has a tense phone call with Babs and tells her he got fired and she's relieved because she doesn't want her boyfriend dodging bullets 24-7, which is... Strange. I don't know if hypocritical is the word. I don't think it is. Contradictory, perhaps, because she's okay with the dangers that he encounters as Nightwing. So that's a bit confuzzling. She hangs up telling him to call her when he's rational. Guess that's one way to do it. Does he really not think Amy knows for sure he's Nightwing? <laughs> he's considering like, oh, she probably doesn't actually know, right? Uh, it's a bit weird. He's even bleeding through his costume when they're both in Chief Redhorn's office. And so there's obviously a connection like, who else had this wound? Like, it's a very Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire situation where he didn't get clipped by that bike messenger. It was the Green Goblin, folks. Okay, 84. Did not shoot the deputy, part one. It's an all-out throwdown between Nightwing and Tarantula as Dick Grayson tries to bring in Bloodhaven's newest vigilante for the murder of Chief Redhorn. Dick remembers to use proper grammar <laughs> even when drugged. He uses whom on a phone call or a, a chip call, I don't know, with Babs. Babs pings in his ear and wakes him up after he's been drugged and, and is knocked out. And he reminisces about a time Babs as Batgirl threw a batarang and hit a tank of nitrous oxide and busted it somehow. And she says, that was a long time ago in a sad sort of way, which is really interesting, but connects to 85 as well. But I guess when he's drugged, he gets nostalgic. And then 85 did not shoot the deputy part two. Somebody has to take the rap for the murder of Chief Redhorn will be Tarantula or Night Dash Wing with no GH, but an N-I-T-E tad right one thing's for certain neither is going down without a fight so apparently oh i forgot all about this apparently bab sleeps without a top on which okay but also 
then I looked forward into the issue and tarantula sleeps with a camisole, but a G string. And I did do research on different underwear types to be precise about this, but I don't know what that was about. Is that a commentary on Barbara is not as sexy as tarantula. So tarantula can wear whatever she wants and she'll still be sexy, but Barbara's not as much. So let's sexy her up by having her topless. I just don't know. Okay. There is a Nightwing signal suddenly in Blue Haven, and he calls Babs to ask if it's a prank, and she had nothing to do with it. When he's signing off, she says, I know, I know you love me. And he says, actually, I was going to say, I crave your touch with every fiber of my being. And (laughs) she becomes self-conscious and wants to verify that that's true, even with her not being able to walk. And checking that he isn't just reminiscing about the Batgirl days. Art-wise, it's interesting because the shadow behind her shows her with her Batgirl cowl on. So crazy. Uh, He says she was so hot with the old bat on her chest. And Bab says, good night, Dick, in an icicle world bubble, which you know how much I love those. But yeah, just interesting dynamics here. Lots of stuff just being unresolved, I think, between the two of them. There's interesting tension. And well, I don't know if interesting, there's tension, period. And that's not been worked out at all. She says, you know, I know you love me casually, but I feel like... You know, that's why I don't say it very often. I mean, I say it to my family members, but I don't just drop I love you or love to like my friends just very casually because it just carries a lot of weight for me. You know, if I have like a very serious discussion with Donovan or Josh, I will end the phone call with I love you because they mean so much to me, but I don't go up to someone and just like, love you, girl. Like, I just don't do that. So for that, I'm not not really sure what that is. I think there is love between the two of them, but to have that joking going on. And I am glad that he is going to say boosting her self-confidence, but it's something more, which is one of the reasons why I think they are meant to be together because she does have these days where she is down on herself and lacking some of that self-confidence, wondering not at only at her heroine abilities and whether she's doing what she needs to be doing and doing it competently, but also I think her physical attractiveness as well. And, you know, why would this really attractive guy be with me, which I've been there certainly. And yeah, he's, he's able to push through that. And yeah, it was just an interesting moment to show, but I, I hope we get to see more of that and have more serious discussions, but it seems like we're coming to a head and, and in a bad way. So I don't know. Also, I will say that he was heavily sexually harassed by a reporter. So I'm not really sure also why that kind of stuff is going on in this particular title. Why Dick is just like a piece of man meat for every woman except maybe Barbara. I think, you know, there's some some flirting and stuff, but I feel like he's just treated like a commodity for some of these uh, people, which I guess that's hypocritical because I treat him like a piece of man meat sometimes too. (laughs) But no, seriously, don't do that. Okay, so we're moving on into the main event, which is an arc or two, I guess, of Batgirl. And we'll begin, of course, with Batgirl 41. As you can see this cover here, We have some interesting alien types and 
an almost upside down kiss between Cass and Connor Kent. So this, oh, and says world's finest romance and uh, really different tone, not only in colors, but just in, in tone, period, than we are used to, I think, for some of these back row covers. Okay. So back row 41 body language, August, 2003 is the cover date writer, Dylan Horrocks, penciler, Adrian Seabar, inker, Andy Owens, colorists, Jason Wright and heroic age back girl spends a night taking down criminals in Gotham city, but she can't sleep. The news reports that the terrorist she captured in Florida, black wind has escaped from custody. Oracle suggests that back do something about her insomnia. Backrow goes on patrol and reads the body language of everyone she sees. Gotham is filled with different kinds of relationships, and they make her feel lonely. She sees a train going to Smallville and decides to ride it on a whim. Backrow arrives at the Kent farm and sneaks in through Superboy's window. Superboy is happy to see her, but confused by how she figured out his secret identity. Backrow simply says that she is a detective. They're about to kiss when Ma Kent knocks on the door. Backrow hides under the bed while Superboy gets rid of his mother. In quotation marks, I guess. Superboy carries Batgirl into the clouds where he uses telekinesis to make a romantic castle they can walk through. Superboy starts babbling nervously as Batgirl tries to kiss him again. They are interrupted a second time when a plane bursts through the clouds. Superboy takes Batgirl down to the top of a very tall rock where they try to kiss under the moonlight. They are interrupted by a giant slug monster that crashes to the ground right next to them. Superboy is incredulous at his bad luck. The creature uses Superboy's telekinesis against him and he can't control his own body. Kitty Faulkner of Star Labs sends him a message that the creature escaped their holding cells. It is a telepath that invades the minds of other psychics and is constantly swarming with smaller creatures. Backrow punches the creature in the face and it goes down quickly. Superboy is amazed, but Backrow explains that the creature was fragile. It was acting out because it was lonely and wanted a friend. Batgirl asks Superboy to take her home as she no longer wishes to have a romantic night. Superboy admits that he was terrified of kissing her. They both agree to be friends and they share one kiss anyway. Superboy carries Batgirl back to Gotham. He asks her how she actually tracked him down to Smallville and Batgirl reminds him that he mentioned Smallville and Kent Farm while giving her his phone number. And Superboy laments that he cannot get the hang of having a secret identity, which of course Batman I think would be upset about. So... I think for all of these, I don't have many comments on them. I am not as engaged with this current period of Cassandra Kane's back girl. I hope it gets back. And I'm trying to keep an open mind each time I open up a new issue. But just, you know, full, full disclosure there. So I will say that the art looks manga in- inspired, especially there were some scenes. Was it this one? Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I'm I'm looking at a manga or an anime. Like he isn't even as that. I'm pointing to it as if you can see what I'm pointing to. But he even has that sort of cross hatching. I don't even know what you would call it on the temple. That's either nervousness or anxiety, sometimes anger. So it just seemed uh, it's an interesting art style for sure. I do wonder how at the beginning, Barbara knows that Cass is up. We see that Barbara has, I guess, installed video feed somewhere in Cassandra's back cave, probably on maybe Cassandra's computer. But I just wonder, like, what did it ping? Is Babs a voyeur? I don't know. I like how Barbara doesn't dissuade Batgirl at all from going to Smallville. 
which is interesting also because Barbara is a bit portrayed maybe as an idiot because or naive or ignorant. I don't know, because somehow she didn't connect that Cass was going to Smallville. Why would she go to Smallville? For what reason? And then she's surprised at one point. I don't know if it was this issue or the next one that once she finds out, she says Batman's going to kill me. So the quickest way to get Mama Kent out of his bedroom is to to talk about a potential uh, sex dream that he had. So well, uh, she asks what the bad dream was about. He says, no, actually it was about a girl in a skin tight black leather bodysuit sneaking into my bedroom in the middle of the night. And then Mama Kent is like, well, that sounds like the kind of dream you best discuss with Jonathan, dear. And she's like, whew, she dodged a bullet there, which is funny because that does sound like a sex dream, even though it literally happened. It seems weird that Cass is the one that is consistently trying to put the moves on Connor. I mean, she, number one, came to his house. Number two, there are two different kisses, like just being very forward. I'm I don't know. It seems out of character for both of them. Connor, I think, is the one he he was a big flirt. He would have been the one to be doing all of this, but he's the one who's super nervous. I'm not sure what's going on. I, I definitely think that she got a bit wrapped up in the body language that she was reading in Gotham, which a lot of them were just smexy body language. They're all look at this. Check me out, girls. I love this guy. I want you. I love you. I need you. I need you. I want you. I need you. I want you. I need you. So I think she was getting wrapped up and and just like that creature at the end, feeling that loneliness. And she's just like projecting a great deal. And I think over she overcorrects per, perhaps and has this idea of if I want companionship, then this is the way to do it. And again, Barbara Gordon, where are you? And why aren't you educating her? But yeah just very interesting. And so with the end and her understanding this creature and what this, you know, he's lonely. uh, I think there's a good lesson potentially. So hopefully she has a friend in Connor, but I do wonder, unfortunately, you know, what sort of friendship? Yeah. She betrayed staff. So what sort of friendships does she really have and companionships? And in the next issue, you know, it's like her only friend is Batman and maybe Babs. I don't know if I would consider that a friendship. It's like a weird line there, but it's just not healthy. So I do worry about her. I think that's it. I'm going to give this a seven out of 10 bat babes because that's what Connor called her. Okay. Now on to the next, which happens to be Batgirl 42, and this is beginning in arc now. We get to see the return of Black Wind and Dr. Death. Okay, so Batgirl 42, the cover, the color quality, and the style of drawing is similar to 41, but I would say the, the tone is back to what we are used to. We have Batgirl grabbing someone and she's certainly in a flip. She's she's doing something dynamic. It's Dr. Death here with the gas mask on. He's got his own little concoction in the bottle. And then we have a bunch of baby dolls, which were there baby dolls in this issue? I don't remember. Okay, so this is Death in a Bottle, September 2003. Writer Dylan Horrocks, penciler Adrian Sibar, inker Andy Owens, and colorist Jason Wright and Heroic Age. 
Batgirl and Batman patrol Gotham City together. Batman asks if Batgirl enjoyed her vacation. She says that she missed this. Batman says, good. They bust a Russian mafia operation run by arms dealer Victor Kurshenko. Batman gives him an hour to leave Gotham, but he is in possession of a soda bottle labeled Dr. Death. Alfred tests this bottle and determines that it is a poison lethal enough to kill the entire city if opened. Oracle helps him track down the distributor. She's furious at Batman for turning Batgirl's recent vacation into a mission, but he insists that Batgirl never wanted a vacation in the first place. It was Oracle's idea. Oracle suggests that Batman is afraid to let Batgirl be happy because he's worried that she might turn away from her life of crime fighting. And then they scour the city for traces of Dr. Death. So, yes, mom and dad are fighting again. Batgirl finds a label that says Dr. Death is holding an auction and gives the address. In the Gotham Clock Tower, Batgirl asks Oracle if she likes boys. Oracle explains her complicated relationship with Nightwing. Boy, it sure is. When Batgirl asks if Oracle loves the boy in one of her pictures, Batgirl reveals that the person she is talking about is Superboy. That's a weird connection. So, yeah, Batgirl sees a picture of Babs and Dick and asks, you know, do you like this person? Do you like boys? What's your relationship with him? And then Oracle is like, why are you asking? Do you like a boy? And then she said, yeah, it's super boy. Okay. So Oracle does a spit take and mentions that Batman would kill her if he found out. So the there. Yes. How did you not know that she went to Smallville to see a Kent? My gosh. Okay. Batman enters unannounced and says they have work to do. Later, Batman approaches Superman and tells him that Superboy needs to back off. Superman says that background Superboy are old enough to choose their own friends, but Batman insists that he... <laughs> He better pass on the message there. So bad jerk strikes again. There is a massive auction held by Dr. Death in an abandoned warehouse. Dr. Death stands on stage in a gas mask and the crowd is filled with terrorists and homicidal maniacs. The bidding reaches $10 million and the winner is a Tarek Stani gentleman. Batman drops a bottle of Dr. Death into the middle of the crowd and it shatters. Batgirl is on crowd control as the villains flee and Batman takes down the man on stage. The bottle is harmless diet cola, but it causes the crowd to panic and flee it's revealed that the man on stage was not the real dr death just a proxy dr death hired dr death escapes the building with his high bidder and batgirl is responsible for letting him get away okay well we'll talk about this batman blames batgirl oh my gosh for this and tells her that she's been slipping lately bat jerk batman says that she can stop being batgirl she doesn't care about it and batgirl is devastated hearing this give me a break Donovan Morgan Grant, my chief bat jerk whisperer and hypocrisy. You need to explain what is going on here. Okay. Batman tells her to go home and get some sleep. And he also tells her not to take any more trips to Kansas. Okay. My bat jerk whisperer better be listening to this episode. Okay. So, oh yeah. My first question is, are Cass and Batman friends? I don't know. I don't. When I think of Barbara and Cass, the F word is not what comes to mind. I really don't think that's their relationship. I think it's it's mentor mentee. I think it's mother daughter. Maybe it's getting close to friendship, but I don't think that's it. Batman and Batgirl. I would say father daughter as well. But this is like, are they also friends? I mean, he's smiling. He doesn't do that very often. I don't know. I feel like he has a different relationship with her than he does with other 
little minions that he has running around. So I'm a bit confused about this, but I mean, is this all she needs to be content? And if that's true, should be, should we be concerned? Because she's not lonely now, but the fact that she ran off to Kansas after seeing all of that romance and you know, romance isn't necessarily if you're lonely, I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest trying to find romance. I think look for a community would probably be my suggestion. Like try to find a group of people, find friends first. And maybe from that, maybe romance will happen. But so the romance didn't work for her. I think that was the wrong direction, but she doesn't have any friends, but she has Batman. And it seems like, yeah, she's content doing that, which makes the ending all the more powerful and saddening because he's about to take that away from her, like telling her you should drop it if you're not into this kind of, you know, 100%. I wish that she had other friends, which is just the difference be- looking between this era and Batgirls and seeing that she does have friends. And I think Barbara Gordon is actually her friend in that era, but here, yeah, I don't know. So she's content. I, I would love for her to have friends. I don't know if it's, it's going to happen. I don't know if it's in the cards for her. I've read this whole run, but I, I don't remember. So it's like, I'm reading for the first time. At one point, Barbara says ain't, which is very bizarre. My question was, I'm not going to be able to find it. I think, but, since when did Barbara Gordon say the word ain't? I know. No. Okay. So yeah, an interesting conversation between Bruce and Babs and Cass isn't there to chime in. And <laughs> Bruce remains one of those people who can somehow deflect or turn the blame from himself onto someone else. And then of course, later on, he bullies Superman, which I don't know. I'll go there, but yeah, she is talking to him first of all and saying, you know, she needs time to heal time to learn that there's more than putting on a mask and beating up guys. And, but you won't let her. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's not, he doesn't even really address that. He all of a sudden says, you know, the the whole vacation situation was your fault. She didn't want to go in the first place. So like I said, mom and dad are fighting again. I think maybe they both have equal points that Cass does maybe need some time away from the cowl. And also Barbara should respect maybe what Cass wants to do. So if Cass wants to be in the cowl, let her be in the cowl. But I think maybe there should be times that she needs some breaks. I don't know who decides that. But yeah, I think both Bruce and Babs have good points there. My gosh, this is like a father, right? Saying stay away from my daughter situation. So it's kind of crazy. The Cass and Dick thing, which is, do you like boys? Bab says, sure, I like some boys. And do you like Nightwing? Oh, well, that's, I mean, Dick and I, do you love him? Yes, yes, I do. I care about him very much, which is interesting. Like, this just feels different than what we saw in Nightwing, obviously. And then she says, uh, yeah, does this, so the girl talk, right? Does this have anything to do with your trip to Kansas? And then, yep, Superboy. But I think, It's really interesting, though, because she could have said something after that, like, you know, we decided to just be friends, but I guess she didn't really have time because of Bruce. But that would have also been, I think, the time to have a conversation with her, especially because at one point she says, have you and Superboy actually, uh, I mean, and making a gesture. Number one, 
Oh, can you not say sex? Number two, Cass probably doesn't know what you're talking about. Number three, have you had a discussion about what this even is? Does Cass even know what sex actually is? Good practices that she can say no, all of that stuff. So missed opportunities once again. And I'm, I'm not sure where Barbara's head is at these days in this bad girl title. I will say that this was crazy clue that just popped up on the back of the bottle. And, oh, I guess, you know, I, my comment here on this was that Cass was a bit reckless in what she was doing because she just goes either for that guy or for the bottle, but he falls. And then I don't know how he doesn't fall off that building. And then she has to jump off and grab the weapon of mass destruction, which is just kind of crazy. But the fact that the clue was right there was also very convenient. I don't understand why Bruce blames Cass for this whole mission really failing, right? He got away, we failed. How is that her? Like she was on crowd control. Batman was the one who was supposed to get Dr. Death. So if Dr. Death is gone, isn't that Batman's fault? And the fact that he said we failed and then all of a sudden it's passed on to her in particular, what? What is going on? He's a capital H hypocrite because number one, he also failed the mission. Don't blame it all on her. And don't all of a sudden go this extreme by saying, you know, you failed this one time. You're clearly slipping. And, you know, if you're not in this. You need to get out of this. Number two, he's a hypocrite because he went after Babs and told Babs not to force trips on Cass that Cass doesn't want to do. But now he's saying that Cass can't go on a trip that she may want to go to or on. What? What's going on here? Jerk whisperer, Donovan Morgan Grant. I demand that you answer me. Okay. Well, I'm done with this issue because I'm I'm just angry. I've given it seven out of 10 diet colas. I think just because there are interesting discussions between different parties, but bat jerk is just intense. This is like 20 out of 10 bat jerks because of how bad he is. That's like the rating. See, if I had an editor again, I'd do a little scale of how jerk-ish how jerky is Batman? It would be a 20 on a 10 scale. So I don't know if I should rate this lower or not, but that's just where we are. So let's move on to Batgirl 43. Ah, yes. So this is a bit of a problem, in my opinion, this is a problematic cover because of what's going on here. So again, coloring uh, tonally, I think it's similar to what we have seen in the past. But she is where I asked if it was appropriation to my chief Tata correspondent, Carolyn. And she said, well, you know, it depends kind of on the context and, and how is it being used? And which I could definitely see, right? Yeah. If you're in a land and you like this is the way to be safe and also respectful of culture, like absolutely. But if we look through, this is what she's wearing. Okay. This pink suit I, I don't know and she does it seems like she kind of has a scarf but she's not wearing the headscarf at all and then back row so it doesn't even happen inside and that changed carolyn's opinion because this doesn't correspond to anything inside so it is a bit over the top and the veil and everything and the veil is interesting because she already had like her mask is over her full face so why would you all of a sudden rip off the bottom half to put a veil on 
interesting. And it says stranger in a strange land, just like Abraham. Okay. So this is back for 43 seeds of blood, October, 2003 cover date and same creative team so i'm not gonna keep repeating myself background batman arrive in tarkstan undercover as bruce wayne and cassandra kane they pretend that bruce is considering bringing wayne tech to tarkstan their real goal is to track down dr death they are greeted by evil oil tycoon victor namali who takes them to meet president ruslam Batgirl is horrified by the poverty and human rights abuses all around her dr jira vidura is assigned as their translator and lieutenant Toria is assigned as their bodyguard. Batgirl believes that Jira is working with the Sakuri Lions, the terrorist group trying to kill Namali. Bruce tells her they are not there to get involved with local politics. I feel like that's hypocritical since you're kind of going to be involved in local politics by stopping someone who wants to use a weapon of mass destruction. But anyways, uh, Ruslan assures Bruce that the government is doing everything they can to deal with the Sakuri. Jira is told to show them around the countryside, and she deliberately takes them through a path that will show them the government's numerous human rights abuses. They cross paths with the Sakuri Lions, who take down their military escort and kidnap Bruce. Batgirl avoids capture and stops the Sakuri from executing these soldiers. Batgirl finds Bruce prisoner in a cave, takes down his guards, and gives him back his bat suit. Batman and Batgirl confront Vidura and the Sakuri Lions leader, Black Wind. Black Wind fights Batgirl and Batman to a standstill with his men of human powers. Batman demands to know where Dr. Death is, but Black Wind insists he does not know. And then Jira reveals that she does know where Dr. Death is. Well, this is certainly nostalgia because it is like when Babs traveled to Spain. I think it was. I remember. I feel like there was a bull fight in the Bronze Age and she was also Batgirl. And I think Jason was there and I was asking like, oh, why? Who wouldn't question why? Or even when Peter Parker went on assignment over i think it was in paris right because there's like a kiss at the airport with him and mary jane and then spider-man's over and you're like wondering what who's not connecting the pieces okay well i will say that i'm wondering when this happens i think it was in the bathroom that there seems to be currently an inconsistency with how Cass speaks i mean here it's as if she just has no trouble and yeah, there, there's not really, well, I guess there are some pauses, but it's just like one pause for every string of three or every like large chunk of dialogue, which that's, that's not been my experience of how she has been speaking. It's also interesting because she does all the work here. He comes in and says, what have you learned so far? What exactly has Bruce been doing? She learns uh, about the country about Namali, about this translator. He's not done bupkis and says, okay, we're not here to get involved with politics and help people. Okay, Batman, you're not here to help people. We're here to stop this Dr. Death person. I'm confused about what this translator is wearing, especially here. My gosh, I thought we were in a, at first I thought it was Cass and I was astounded, but no, Cass has been dressing conservatively. But yeah, this, this lady my gosh, cutoffs and a, um, a midriff bearing top. Heck, wh- why did we have this cover? I mean, apparently you don't need any sort of cover up here in Tark, Stan. Okay. It is interesting putting Cass in situations where she is seeing this hatred towards living people, living beings, war and torn nation. 
human rights issues and seeing how she deals with that emotionally because we know how attached she is because of her assassination to life and that all life matters and is sacred. And so to see this through her eyes, I think is really powerful, especially just this bottom panel where you see people on the ground and military people about to shoot them at scenes or threatening them. It looks like a mother and two children. And she, you just see her looking out the window through a mirror and, and watching this all happen. I do wonder where, Cass kept her costume the entire time because she is only carrying a purse. And then later on, when Bruce needs his costume, I don't know where she kept that either. So it's very interesting. I also wondered if they, how they planned this, you know, that Bruce would be kidnapped, but she would get out of that situation because it was very quick. I don't know how they communicated that. And that would have been interesting to see. I am surprised that Cass doesn't have more of a reaction when she encounters Black Wind again, especially since she was a bit shaken up by a mere TV story a couple issues ago, right? And, you know, now they're face to face. So it is a bit strange. Ugh, this was really gross. He, he has Batman by the neck. Finally, someone's got that jerk in a neck stranglehold. And he says, I know that girl, Blackwind does. I know that girl. What are you, her boyfriend? Why? Why do writers do this? Why do, why do characters within this fictional world assume that? But honestly, writers, why are you, number one, pairing up Batgirl with Batman? That's no, just because the girl and the man and the bat connection doesn't mean there needs to be romance. And number two, this is like far worse than Barbara and Batman. I mean, the Barbara and the Batman one makes me angry. This one just grosses me out. This is all I have to say about this particular issue. I liked this not as much uh, as the other ones, which I didn't like as much anyway. So I'm going to give this six out of 10 business trips. That's kind of crazy. Look at that. Both bloody. Oh, yeah, I can see what she's doing now because she notices that he's not lying and she's got the head tilt kind of like a, a dog when you're like questioning what's going on. OK, my last one is Batgirl 44. Harvest of Death, November 2003. Same creative team. Doesn't look like Heroic Age was coloring, however. And this cover, you see Dr. Death and some green mist and Batgirl and Batman are there both having some gas gas what gas masks on I feel like the longer I talk the worse my speech becomes okay Dr. Death delivers a presentation to the leaders of Tarakstan his new biological weapon is capable of killing in seconds and compressing its victims into pure oil he gives a live demonstration to President Ruslam and tycoon Vilom Namali using local villagers the entire room applauds loudly Batgirl spends time alone with Black Wynn leader of the Sakuri Lion terrorists Black Wynn explains that he was taken away from his village at a young age so they could experiment on his powers in Moscow. When the Soviet Union fell, he returned to Tarkstan and found his village wiped out by the government. Blackwind tells Batgirl that to men like Namali, oil is power. To the Sakuri, oil is considered like a dark secret that should stay underground. They have a tradition of digging holes and whispering their secrets into them when they feel like they cannot contain a dark secret anymore. To demonstrate this, Blackwind breathes, yo, vamo, a eh, into the ground, which means I love you. Blackwind expresses his feelings at 
for Batgirl, but Batgirl resists. Batman tells Black Wind to leave her alone and threatens him. Batman devises a plan for Sakuri to infiltrate Death's headquarters under the condition that the Sakuri do not kill. Black Wind reluctantly agrees. They launch a frontal assault, which forces Dr. Death to stop teaching himself how to play what? This sounds so bizarre. I'm sure I read it, but I'll say it anyways. They launch a frontal assault, which forces Dr. Death to stop teaching himself how to play the banjo. Felt like I was just on drugs for a moment. Dr. Death releases his innocent test subject so he can kill everybody at once. The doors open and Batman is barely able to make it inside behind the soldiers. Dr. Death throws his poison into the crowd, but Blackwind manages to contain it with his powers. He uses his powers to burst into the com- compound, which helps Batman take down Dr. Death's private army. The poison is too much for Blackwind, and successfully containing it kills him. The country is safe, and Dr. Death is defeated, but Blackwind rains down on the crowd as oil. Bruce Wayne and Cassandra Kane leave the country together. Namali tries to convince Bruce to stay, but Bruce insists that he would never work with scum like Namali in charge. Before leaving, Cassandra digs a small hole and whispers Jovamo, yay, into it. And Bruce asks what she was doing, and she replies that it's a secret. And I should say that he contains the poison and was going to push it off on the soldiers and Namali, but Bruce says, no, we don't kill. And then he basically disrupts what Blackwind was doing and causes his death. I'm not going to lie. So, okay. Thank you to DC Wikia for all those synopses. I do wonder about this banjo plane and whether that actually had, Oh, yep. There he is there. he. That's not a banjo though. I will say that is a guitar, but anyways. Okay. So it seems like we did skip things all of a sudden because We go from the previous issue where there's tense situation and Jira says, I know where Dr. Death is, to, I guess, their allies. And, you know, there's still some tension, but I I guess everything's mostly okay. So I, I don't know what, why they do this. I guess we're just skipping maybe, like, on, they think it's unnecessary details or conversations, but I personally like to see that interstitial space of how did you get from point A to point C because you are skipping B. And I was literally thinking about this today as I was watching Virgin River season four on Netflix because one of the, they've done this a couple of times now, but one of the most egregious ones was an episode ends with Mel walking in on somebody breaking into a drug cabinet. And then the next part of the episode just like starts off completely differently. And we don't, uh, Mel is doing something. And the guy who was breaking in was doing something. I'm like, what, what, what's going on? Why did we not pick up right where that left off? I don't know what you're thinking. Yes. Suspense, but also I feel like that's poor storytelling. I'm in, intrigued i don't know i do i buy it i feel like there is something strong between these two was it love like the fact that he did this and then confessed his feelings and saying that there's something powerful between the two of them is really interesting and i didn't think that it was love but i guess this all makes sense to a certain degree because of how uncomfortable she has felt from the instant that he has interacted with her though of course 
in the beginning, it seemed like it was a lot of ogling and she, that made her feel uncomfortable. But if it has been this like just intense spark and perhaps she feels that too, and just felt uncomfortable because she didn't know how to deal with it. And she's never been in love before then. Yeah, that's interesting. So I wonder then if in the previous issue or was that 42, she was lying to Barbara and maybe it's not Superboy She really wanted to mention, but black wind. I don't know. Okay. Uh, there is certainly some political messaging here in this particular issue and, and I guess arc with U.S. foreign policy, with democracy, with weapons selling and even black winds, you know, oh, you Americans, you talk about democracy, but you're never willing to take responsibility for the actions of your own government. So there, there is a lot of commentary, I think, here. Bat Jerk is a colonist, I say, which is really interesting because he tells black wind don't no killing. And you got us this far, Black Wind, but from here on in, we do things my way. So it's just very interesting that even though he's in someone else's land and with another group, that uh, it's his way and only his way. So I think that that makes him a colonist right there. This door is a bit of a joke because they get locked in there and... Backrow runs out because Black Wind is still out there and he's trying to contain the poison. And Dr. Death says that now that the door is locked, not even a cruise missile could get through that door. Yet somehow, impossibly, Batman breaks it by throwing Dr. Death through it, which I guess is comical, it's farcical, and it's just improbable and ridiculous. And I know it's a comic book, but it just seems ridiculous. I do feel like Batman was reckless at the very end, right? So Black One's going to do what Black One's going to do. And then Batman says, no, I won't let you kill him and just throws off that whole thing. But there are innocent bystanders around, right? And so he all of a sudden causes this wind to get out of control, coming towards the innocents. And just way more people could have been killed than just the bad guys. And then... Black Wind becomes the hero because he is the one that contains it and sacrifices himself in doing so. And yeah, so I feel like it would have been a better ending had Black Wind killed these people and Batman maybe beaten him up or something. And then Cassandra maybe losing all love, just be like, we're too different. You did that. But all those people, you know, were never in danger. But as it is, I just feel like Bat Jerk is especially jerky in these issues. And doing that's irresponsible. What's he doing? Oh, my gosh. And then at the very end, and yeah, very sad with the oil raining down and her face there. Her beloved is raining down upon her. The very end, having that emotional moment of burying that secret, which is interesting just to call it dark. I mean, that you love someone. Is that, you know, something that's dark and needs to be hidden? But there you go. And then Bruce who who's writing this guy but seriously uh, bruce he's not compassionate he doesn't even ask what her feelings are and you know was there this connection between her and black wind but he says what the hell are you doing back there anyways oh my gosh oh my gosh 20 out of 10 bat jerk 20 out of 10 and she's crying a tear is rolling down her cheek and she says it's a secret so I liked this slightly more, I think, than the middle issue. So I'm going to give it 6.5 out of 10 Jovamo A's. But my gosh, my gosh, the bat jerk is just too much, too much. Okay, well, we're almost done. I'm going to do some listener emails. 
Okay, so some comments from the YouTube videos in no particular order. Thanks again to Hornacek for always holding me accountable for when these comics are working and when they're not. And I checked every time a comic I was sharing, I checked to see if there was a green line around it. And so I think, fingers crossed, because every time I saw it, I'm hoping that there are no issues. But Javelin wrote in episode 222, the second part, and said, speaking of Elseworlds, Future State was pretty heavy on the exes that get back together subtext for Steph and Cass. And I heard this was even confirmed by the writer Vita Ayala. Personally, I think it's pretty cute, but I feel like it makes sense if any author ideas on pulling the trigger are put on hold until the whole whole Tim situation dies down. Yeah, that also makes sense. I think now that they've had that conversation between the two of them, that option is there. And I guess I, I am hoping for little moments of buildup rather than like all of a sudden the next issue they, they are making out. I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> We're at we're at point F right now. Where was you know B through E? Whew, yeah, we'll see. Again, I'm I'm cautious about what that would be like, but my heart will tell me what I think after I see it. Okay. And then oh, it's Hornacek, my good friend. Uh Hornacek said Lena Luther is the name you couldn't remember for the Caracorp ship, which is so sad that I could not remember who that was. Uh, I guess I forget sometimes, but if I ever forget the kebabs and those names, then you really need to be concerned for me. And then I just have one email and it is from my former BFF, but I'll bring her back into the fold because I think her time and time out has come to an end. I said that it would be a whole episode. So here we are. Okay. This is about BTO222 as well. BFF Stella. Whew, way to power through those Gilbert Hernandez issues of Birds of Prey. I always forget about them, probably because I find them so unremarkable. I honestly find those last two panels of 55 to be unsettling. I never saw it as queer baiting, but always saw it as being more explicitly homophobic than that. It reminds me a lot of the gay panic jokes you'd see on TV in the late 90s, early 2000s. As a lesbian who was growing up at that time, those panels never failed to turn my stomach. That is a that is a good point, almost as if they're being it's like meta commentary, like, oh, you know, don't call us. Gay. Even though you saw that Chuck Dixon panel, that's not what we're about. And golly, yeah. It's been a while since I've seen, I think, a 90s TV series. Well, that's not true. I did watch Daria. But that was something that Tom and I talked about because we did a short little segment about friends for pop culture affidavit. And we talked about what aged well and what didn't age well. And those, you know, like freaking out if if someone thought the other person was gay or calling the other person gay or saying that's gay, like that stuff just has not aged well at all. So I can definitely see that that would be, I mean, I, I take your point for sure. And it's not like they were in a, an embrace because I think maybe those are the ones that are more queer baiting. Hopefully things have gotten better now. I feel like the media that I have consumed that have 
either lesbian subplots or the main feature of the story seem a lot better. There's more representation, obviously. And I think we're past that, you know, oh, I'm not gay. What do you, which is interesting, actually, as a little side tale, because in Invincible, as I've been rereading, because I'll talk about reading the compendium, they have a couple of those. Actually, every time that Invincible is carrying someone cradling them, kind of like, I guess you would if you were a man. Well, maybe this isn't true anymore, but if you were carrying your partner across the threshold, like that kind of crazy. And that when he's flying and then he'll say like, this is so gay. And and they have like, gay have gay panic. There's a lot of gay panic. And then all of a sudden his friend is gay in after he comes back from war. That, that was really interesting. But anyway, that was that connection. But back to my other thought, I think media is better in terms of queer representation and not having gay panic. But I also think that it hits harder when someone, when there is maybe gay panic or if someone is using a slur because if they're doing it, they're doing that intentionally. And I think it it hurts far more now knowing what that impact is than before maybe having ignorance and um, saying this without having education. Now we're educated. So if you're educated and you're saying that kind of crap, that's that's problem. And I think it hits differently. But uh, you can certainly tell me what you think about queer media currently and, and whether you've encountered gay panic now. So continuing with your email, now the good news is that you will be starting Gail Simone's run. I think her run is very different from Dixon's, and I love them both. I can't wait to hear what you think. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited to have a special guest on the next episode for the first arc of Gail Simone. So fingers crossed. As far as Batgirls number seven, I hate that the... I hate that the narrator claims to miss me. I certainly didn't miss them, though I have to say in general, there seems to be less narration boxes in this issue. That being said, it would be a really interesting twist if the narrator turned out to be some other character we haven't been introduced yet. I'm all for Charlie. I miss Misfit. Maybe if I just pretend the narrator will be less grating. Seer felt like a bit of a disappointment here. I would have much preferred to get to know her in the present before her backstory was dumped on us. I'd be more compelled to sympathize with her if I knew some more about the person she is now. I also think there could have been more suspense built around the character if the writers broke up her backstory and gave it to us in pieces throughout this arc. Maybe give us some time with her interacting with the Batgirls before they put their plan in motion instead of designating it to off-panel end. Yes, something to give Seer some personality instead of just a victim of the Saints slash Pawn for the Batgirls. And Dick had to know he and Babs were undercover, not on a real date, right? I guess I just assumed he was being facetious since I couldn't think of any good reason for Babs not to tell him, especially when date night involved her taking him out to Iceberg Lounge of all places. I'd sure be suspicious. Well, I'm glad you found it in your heart to forgive me for trolling you on Twitter. I would have been sad otherwise. However, I can't promise I won't do something like that again. Safe travel, Shana. Okay, well, I guess I'm on the lookout for future betrayal, Shana. But yeah, back rolls. I mean, you'll find out obviously in this issue, you've you've already read it, I'm sure, uh, about their date. And with Seer, I 100% agree with you. And we still are kind of skipping things. And, and there is an impactful moment in eight. But yeah, I, I feel you there. But sometimes I, I miss those villains that don't need to be sympathized with. And they're just bad people. But I guess we're beyond that point. We're not 
really in black and white mode anymore. I think we're consistently in gray mode, which is fine because, of course, I love The Last of Us Part Two, and that's all about the gray. Ah, yes. Well, thank you for writing in. And remember that if you have any questions or comments, if you want to badger explain why he's doing the things he's doing and saying the things he's saying over in Cassandra Kane's book, I would love for you to attempt to do that. And I think that's about it. This is run a bit long, I am sure. So I am, oh yeah, just write it in backworldoracle.com. There you go. Or post on the YouTube videos. I usually see them. And tweets get to me mostly. I'm not always on there, I have to say. But yes, I will. I'll, I'll see things. Okay, so I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go out in this heat. It's been saying there's a rain coming, but I have yet to see it. So I'm just going to go out a walking and see if I collapse from the heat. Uh, when I come back, I'm going to cover some modern quickies, including Nightwing. Apparently, it might give me an erotic thrill. I don't know. That's what... My jerk whisper has told me and a full review of Batgirls number eight. But first, Zias's radio hour featuring Bad Reputation by Joan Jett. See you soon.
welcome back. So I have been led to believe that there is a lot of shipping, maybe some erotica in some of these modern Nightwing tales, Nightwing 94. We'll see if my friend Donovan Morgan Grant was telling the truth or not. But besides that, I did look at Batman 125 and Barbara does appear. She appears at the end checking in since there is another Batman murderer campaign. Feels like I've just done that recently. And she also asks why he hasn't visited Tim in the hospital who got like a gunshot wound to the neck. So she does appear. And in case you're interested, this is the publisher synopsis. Superstar writer Chip Zdarsky joins legendary artist George Jimenez to define a new era in Batman. Bruce Wayne is at a turning point, haunted by dreams of a dark future, while Gotham City billionaires are being gruesomely murdered. With the discovery of an arch enemy's involvement and a tragedy unfolding, the Dark Knight's nightmares are just beginning. And in the backup, there's chaos in Gotham as the underworld fights over one of its crown jewels. And Selena Kyle is caught in the middle. Can she stop the bloodshed and maybe even make a little money in the process? Okay, well, if you recall, because I went to Europe, I was unable to, the time that it happened, I was unable to actually look at Nightwing from June. So I'm going to have two Nightwings to look at quickly. So this one, first off, is both of them. I have shipper covers, or at least this one's got a main shipper cover, and then 94 has a variant shipper cover. But Nightwing 93, here's the synopsis, the publisher synopsis. After uncovering that Blockbuster isn't who he says he is, in fact, he's much worse, Nightwing, Babs, and Blue Haven Mayor Melinda Zuko battle to expose Blockbuster's malpractices. With Blockbuster controlling more of the criminal underground than Nightwing ever thought possible, can Dick Grayson help stop him before things go too far? You know, what's very bizarre is that I feel like these synopses are not matching what's actually inside the issue, but we shall continue on. So I'm just going to go quickly through this. And of course, George Perez, may he rest in peace. So that's a pretty cool uh, honor to give him with that double page spread of all these characters that he's worked with. So we last left, of course, Heartless and Blockbuster wondering what was going to happen. This was pretty shocking. Just I think you get a sense of who Heartless or his power set to a certain extent and that he's able to stop a full force punch from Blockbuster. But I think you can also it's either at the end of this one or 94 get a sense of what his I guess what the detriment to his body is, because as you can see, because he is able to stop that full force punch, he's also using up a lot of energy, as you can see it kind of sparking out of his heart. Now, I'm a bit confused. Just he came in and it seemed like, oh, wow, they're going to probably team up, but he's just like willing to pay a price for it or else. And I thought, well, that's not the best. But this was pretty funny that he thought... <laughs> I don't know. Heartless thought that he he got Blockbuster backed in a corner and then all of a sudden Blockbuster pulls up a desk. Heartless says, oh, bleep. And then he is thrown out of a window with that desk, which I thought was pretty funny. 
I do like seeing Dick slash Nightwing doing civil service and just such a simple civil service as cleaning up a statue. And of course, it means a great deal, not only because he has started this project, but the fact that the statue is, in fact, Alfred, but just the fact you know, that he's on the ground and doing such a a small thing that you wouldn't think a hero would be involved in is pretty cool. Bushes, as we see here, seem to be very handy in this era of DC. If you remember, Steph was hiding out in a bush in one of the Batgirls. And here he not only hides a motorbike, but also a pretty cool jacket that seems to match very precisely the detail of his costume, which I thought was pretty cool. This maneuver that he does where he launches a line and then does a really quick swing off of a bridge seems like a Fast and Furious maneuver. I feel like we've actually seen that before. And I wondered if, as I was thinking about it, I wondered if it was Dark Knight, the film, Because didn't Bruce have to do like a really sharp 90 degree turn and he ended up shooting out a line so that he could make that turn? I don't know. It just seemed really familiar. It definitely has come from some sort of movie. Thwip at the bottom right hand corner of this particular, I mean, trademark Spider-Man. So there might be some copyright issues in store for them. And then we see, of course, Babs has been in his ear the entire time. As we know, she's a big presence in this particular book. Not any, I'm trying to see what, I always look at what their clothing is, especially in this book. And now we kind of see it in Batgirls number eight, which we'll see. I can't tell what he, it looks like it might be in Spanish because of the E-N, but I really don't know what that might be. And she's just wearing some, she's pretty, she's in some leisure clothes. And then, yeah, there's this L word moment. She shows something on the screen. We can't see what it is. It might be the right, the recognition software of who had been graffitiing and messing up that park, which we find out later. And She's just like, you know, yeah, of course I was able to do that. And then he says, you're incredible. I love you. And then, whoa, the next panel, you know, his joy comes out very quickly. And then the next panel, they're both shocked to hear it. And later on, he says that was not supposed to. It just slipped out. Sorry. And then she says in a smirking kind of way, you're sorry for saying you love me. I yes. No. (laughs) And then, of course, the phone goes off and he says, oh, thank God. And it is his half sister. So very cool there. I do wonder we're starting off here. It just looks really bad. There's a bad look to all of this and then later on you know you have sorry for the people not watching with the cops just let's not say harassing but they are surrounding these kids right that this area was built for this haven commissioner mclean makes them feel like criminals and he says that a lot of them are and we're just protecting the city and Later on in front of the news station, he says, we were always concerned that this hub would attract an undesirable element, but I'm honestly appalled and saddened by what we've seen here. This is a betrayal of so much goodwill that the people this was built for would bite the hand that fed them like this. 
And then, of course, Dick says it's not true and he's able to expose everything. But there definitely seems to be perhaps a political message here, right, from from the writer to us, just given the fact that the boys in blue are against this whole thing, are not helping the people, are not protecting the group that really needs it the most and seeing them only as a criminal element and blaming on them. And also, as we've come to find out, doing the criminality and then blaming it on them. So I feel like there's a bit of a political message there, potentially, depending on how you read. So I wonder how maybe a Blue Lives Matter proponent would feel about this or do you just you know it's a comic book but we know that some political and social discourse certainly bleeds through our comics also on this page was a really funny thing where babs is ready to send that package the data package revealing who the cops were to the news station and she's typing 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 and then she takes harley's little paw and harley is the one to hit enter which looks like the space button and she goes boop but that was certainly a fun little thing and then the final thing that i wanted to say was and she actually gives harley credit which was funny it looks like Heartless, I mean, we get to know him a bit more. He does seem like he's real souped up, but Heartless has a butler and I'll just call him Alfred, even though his name is Gerald, I think it is. It's either Gerald or Gerard, but he even says what happened, sir. So yeah, Gerald. So he's got an Alfred too, which is pretty crazy. Okay, moving on to 94. Now, 94 was what Donovan had said that I was going to love it. And he sent me a bunch of emojis that could double as sexual innuendo. So I thought, oh, my gosh, what's about to go down in this? They just said the L word. Is there going to be some smexy times and public affiliation? I don't know. So we'll find out together. Well, I already know, but we, we will find out together. So this is Nightwing 94. Publisher synopsis. There's a new commissioner in town, and it's none other. I feel like they're behind. Okay, well, we'll we'll keep on going. I'll figure out what's going on here. There's a new commissioner in town, and it's none other than Maggie Sawyer. But one clean commissioner does not make a whole bad basket of Blue Haven police officers good. And now Blockbuster is forced to lean more on Nightwing's sister, Mayor Zuko, to oversee the old commissioner's illegal dealings. Then an attack on Haven reveals some shocking truths to Nightwing and Oracle that make it difficult to recover from. Okay, not too much to talk about actually here in this particular oh and by the way remember when i can't remember i'm i'm so sorry but a listener had said you know why aren't you covering detective comics and i didn't really know that babs was, was a part of it and then i read like this entire run of mariko tabaki and then it seemed to be i feel like that was months ago and then all of a sudden it's come back i don't know what it's kind of strange to have a top tier book like detective comics be on hiatus i don't know what's going on okay so there we go. I just want to say that Nightwing is getting a bunch of cool costumes here. I would call these web pits, but that's only because I am a Spider-Man fan. But just to see him flying through the air with the greatest of speed, like Mighty Mouse, and of course doing crazy things, playing chicken, but knowing what he's getting into with a car and a motorbike. I am 
pleasantly surprised to see Maggie Sawyer here as commissioner. And then, of course, Dan Turpin is right behind her with his scowl on the face. I am interested to see where that goes. I wonder if there will be any shipping. I wonder what or how much of a side character she's going to be. Is she going to be a recurring minor character that fills a pretty big role in Nightwing's cast? I don't know, but it'll be pretty interesting to see. Kind of reminds me of, I mean, this runs parallel to the the vintage Nightwing, just that, you know, trying to clean up the Blue Haven Police Department. So Maggie and Amy taking these roles to kind of clean it up is, is very interesting that, again, we see a parallel between the present and the past. Aha, here it was. This is the moment. So Donovan lied to me. Now I am happy for this shipper moment. So they are looking through some data. I think it's Blockbuster's data that they ended up getting from Commissioner McLean as he was trying to escape. And Dick says, you want to order pizza and read through pages and pages of criminal activity. And she says, I couldn't think of anything more romantic. And then there is a nice little smooch. And who knows where that smooch would have gone, except Harley had to behave like the puppy she is. Or Haley, why do I keep calling her Harley. Haley. Oh, that's real bad. I think I've even written that in my show notes. Haley, like Haley Circus, is mischievous and is ripping up some of those uh, data packets. So we unfortunately don't get to see any sort of smoochy smoochy time. So I'm, I don't know why Donovan was sending me the, all those little emojis. He lied to me. And then I think at the very end, all I have to say is, oh, no, Melinda, because, oh, boy, she was trying to save someone. And then she did not use a secure line. And she also did it in front of this guy. And he outed her very quickly. So I'm concerned for her. And uh, we'll see what happens. So that is it for Nightwing 94. I guess lesson learned that you should not trust someone if they say that you're going to get an erotic thrill out of reading an issue because I just can't trust it anymore. Just can't trust it. Can't trust him. Okay. And now the main event, which is Batgirl's number eight. So Batgirl's number eight, Bad Reputation, Part two of two story, Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad art, Robbie Rodriguez colors, Rico Renzi. We're in the iceberg lounge on a faux date with Dick and Babs as they are surrounded by criminals watching a sword eating act. And they're also waiting to infiltrate the basement where Sear is currently being held. There's much flirting, and Steph calls them out on it. Don't worry, Babs can multitask. Steph and Cass are still on the roof with a trussed up Assisi, and they have mapped Babs's route through the basement. Babs and Dick dress in an elevator and continue to flirt, and we find out Dick betrayed two times in one episode. Can you believe it? Babs by starting a new season of their show without her. Upon reaching the basement, they are immediately assaulted by Valentine. 
Dick goes easy on her until she insults his girlfriend. Meanwhile, Babs has lost communication with the oracles up top, most likely due to the thick walls and being underground. And she tells them not to come inside. But of course, they hear come inside because of this body coverage. And they also warn Babs that the saints are aware of the whole plan because Assisi had a camera in his mask and had been recording the whole thing. After the girls burst through the skylight of the lounge, Penguin gets his sword eater Lulu to attack the girls. Then he runs off and they take Lulu out, but not well enough, it seems, as she reappears trying to fillet them while they are in an elevator. They launch themselves out of the elevator and she goes down the shaft. But don't worry, she's still alive. Babs talks to Tarsus and tells him to let Seer go, but he says that he will use her to make Simon Saint powerful again. Babs tells him to see the inconsistency of what he is saying, but we all know what she really means is that he's a hypocrite. I think Nightwing drops a smoke pellet. It's unclear who does it and how Babs knew that he was there and when the smoke pellet was going to drop, but there's a smoke pellet and Tarsus is taken out and Seer is rescued. Babs destroys Seer's computer setup with a thumb drive and Seer is livid, though she does tell the team where there is another exit through a sewer used when the lounge was a distillery. On the way out, Seer slices Tarsus's neck with a razor inside of a a mouse computer mouse and pushes him and babs out into the sewer dick takes the saints and babs goes home with the girls so they don't chase seer they consider the future threat of seer before steph wearing a black canary shirt wonders why babs is wearing dick's hot pants from when he was robin as the night ends dick visits with Haley, and again i ask you where's fido five and they share a kiss and next up oh my gosh finally killer in the hill okay so let's look at this cover here of course i always like to see I guess the ratio of humans and who is being showcased and who is not, but this is the main cover. We have, is that a yo-yo? We have Seer in the background. I'm a bit confused about this strange yo-yo here. Yeah, not really sure how that relates. And then Barbara is in the foreground as Batgirl and Cass and Steph are in the background. And there's currently a debate going on which my dear friend Donovan sparked and is trying to burn down the internet about who is the focus of this book now, who is meant to be the focus. If there's a Barbara fan, is that fan complaining that there's not enough Barbara? If there's Steph and Cass fans, are they complaining that there's not enough Steph and Cass? And I, as a Barbara fan, of course, but you know, you know, I love Steph as well. And I, if you recall, I said that I felt like there wasn't a lot of Barbara. I thought the intent was equal screen time. Someone replied to that tweet or quoted that it was supposed, she was supposed to be kind of in the background. It was mostly supposed to focus on Cass and Steph. And I don't recall that necessarily being true. I thought the point of being backgirls is that all three of them were sharing the page. Otherwise, why not call it Backgirls and Barbara Gordon? So, you know, even if you were to look at the covers, which I brought up, you were seeing Stefan Cass on at least the first three covers. And then either Barbara wasn't there or just like a floating Barbara head. 
And so now we are seeing full Barbara body here in this case, she's in the foreground, which I think is appropriate just because it is her mission and she's mostly taking priority. But I think if we shift back and forth and share the spotlight, I think that's fine. I argued that Barbara, I think, did not have a lot of time or I, I guess I think two thirds of the time was probably going to the girls and one third to Barbara, which sounds even because two thirds for two people and one for, but just like overall, it seemed like they were getting more and she was getting less, but now it seems pretty equal in my opinion, but really the only way to solve that particular debate is honestly, if someone, a nerd, I suppose, and someone who would love to do this, I don't know, is to count panels and see how it has progressed. I don't, have I guess I have the time to do that, but I don't think I really want to. But it would be a, a good question. I was thinking today that I need to reach out to the writers and try to get an interview. And so I think that might be a good question and discussion to have with them. All that to say, here's this cover. Barbara, yes, is in the foreground. So, of course, the debate, if, if you're saying that Steph and Cass aren't getting enough screen time, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And someone complained that, you know, because Barbara's in Nightwing, and I thought, oh, my gosh, Barbara, I love Barbara being a Nightwing, but it's Nightwing's book. So I think that that's a poor argument that if it's Batgirls, like she needs to be in a spotlight, but again, share that spotlight. So I guess these writers are still trying to balance it out. And if you recall Donovan and, and I agree with him, and I, I think Shana also agreed that the the first arc was a Stephanie arc that what if this, you know, two, this, this is only two parts. This two part arc was a Barbara Gordon arc. And then maybe Cass will be the next one. They'll kill her on the hill. I feel like that might be a Stephanie situation since she's been the one to say it was the creepy neighbor all along. You've got the iceberg lounge in the background. If anyone can let me know why there's a yo-yo there, let me know. If it had been like digital trail or a sword because of Lulu or a thumb drive because of what Babs did at the end, maybe, you know, that would have been better. I suppose my main question or grievance against the story is the characterizations, particularly of Dick and Babs. So let me see if I can find this. But at one point, here we go. Dick says, are you sure we have to save Seer? She did cause a lot of trouble, and I can think of plenty of things I'd rather be doing. When would Dick Grayson ever say that about really anyone? I mean, all the terrible things that have happened, all the bad things that people have done, the bad guys, except with the exception of Joker, because of Joker's last laugh and all of that, I really do not see him saying this. And then I was actually pretty surprised that he was shocked that Seer was a child. I would have thought that Babs would have mentioned this right after she had found out who Seer was. And especially because he's a part of this particular mission, would you not let someone know that, hey, there's a new Seer as a child? Her name's Kia, I think, Kira. And you know, we're, we're going to save her. And I know that she's done some bad things. So there's some weirdness there. So that's Dick, right? And then at the very end, she says at one point, actually, 
apology she doesn't say it the purple boxes do but still it goes to her character because these purple boxes are obviously third person omniscient if it had been anyone else baz would have seen it coming more than that though she regretted the fact that a small part of her admired seer she'll never admit it though okay so number one barbara gordon the barbara gordon that i know should not and would not have been thrown for a loop that seer double crossed them and this is something that happened in the previous part where like she was giving her every little bit of grace and the other girls were saying oh we gotta be careful Barbara Gordon would have also been very careful, like we're going to help her, but we need to watch her. So this would have been something that like, I, you know, I expected this. She had backups, etc. This should not have been a shock. Number two, do you really think she admires her for what does she admire her? I think that there is a mutual let me think about this. There's definitely empathy and compassion as we see later on, because when she puts in the thumb drive and destroys everything, Sears says, no, no, you can't. That computer is my life. You don't get it without it. I'm nothing. And Barbara says, oh, I get it. All right. This is when you let your old life go and start building a new one without it. You're free. Admire. I don't know if that's necessarily because does Barbara Gordon admire Calculator? Does she admire Blockbuster? I'm trying to think of people that she's gone up against. I mean, does she admire Joke? Like what? Or at least let's say we'll stick with Calculator because I think that's the best one-to-one comparison. I I don't know because Sear... Is it just her like technological know-how and that she's a kid and able to accomplish so much? But how do you separate that? Isn't that interesting? How do you separate that from all of the ill that she has done? And I suppose that's where empathy comes in because, of course, you can understand, but you condemn those particular actions. Best example, of course, is The Reader by Bernard Schlink. That's the you know best thing to do. So here, you know, I think there's definitely empathy. There's absolutely compassion because Barbara has been there. So that's, you know, that one step deeper, but man, admire that's kind of, that's tricky. I don't know about that. I don't know. And I don't know if it's because it's a villain, but I feel like she didn't admire calculator. So why would she all of a sudden admire a kid? I think she would have compassion and empathy and sympathy and pity, all of those feelings for her, but maybe not admire. But I'd love to hear what you all think about that. Do you think that makes sense that Barbara admires Seer? I do love that little heart to heart, though, that Barbara has, because I think it it hits on multiple levels and layers the fact that number one her rig probably has and it definitely has gotten destroyed right as oracle her computer has gotten messed up the clock tower has gotten messed up but on another layer which is really interesting wearing a background costume 100 that has happened right when she got shot she felt like without being back girl, she was potentially nothing. And what could she do? But she let that go. And then she took on Oracle and became something new, something more, something better. So I, I think that's a really powerful couple panels there. So anyways, just to say that the characterization is a bit wonky with Dick and Babs. I would also say, and this is coming, of course, from a shipper 
a dick and bad shipper, but the flirting is heavy. Yeah, in this elevator here, we might, Bab says, we might be in a little trouble when the elevator door opens. Dick says, I can always push the emergency stop button and we can find something else to do. Bab says, hmm, tempting, what do you suppose? Dick says, turn off your comms for a minute and find out. <laughs> okay, so I'm okay with flirting, but we are in kind of a dire situation where, again, child has been kidnapped and we're trying to rescue her and we've got this group of individuals that we've had to fight two other times at least before. So I don't know. Some of these, like I can definitely see the, we could be in sweatpants on the couch, eating popcorn, catching up on our show, like that sort of thing. But like some of the hot and heavy innuendo, like maybe it's not the time for it. It's almost as if they're young newlyweds or like recently in a relationship rather than the mature adults that have been in and out of a relationship. And so I don't know. I think some flirting is okay. Maybe when they were in the iceberg lounge, but then kind of cut it out. That's just me. And again, hello, I'm a huge shipper for these two. So you'd think I'd love it, but just when exactly is the appropriate time to be having these sort of flirtatious comments? Okay, at the very top, and I actually, <laughs> I, I thought of uh, Shana immediately while I read this, just because at least I know that I have a kindred spirit in my thoughts on this, but it may have been because of my trip, and that seems like it's been a long time since I've read Seven, but the fact that I opened this issue and the very first thing that I had to read was a purple box, I lost a little bit there. But I'm wondering if it might be Stephanie, because at one point during the elevator scene, I should say the second elevator scene, is it this one? The purple box on the previous page says at the very bottom, don't worry, dot, dot, dot. And then at the next, at the top of the next page, it connects with Stephanie saying Oracle and Nightwing are totally fine. Now, we know that this happens frequently within books where a narration box may spill over to something else or one person saying something may spill over into another person saying something in another scene. But I do wonder if this is potentially a clue. I also, speaking of Stephanie, I have no idea if this is a reference, but if someone could illuminate, elucidate rain ruin for me? Why is that a call that she's making as she's breaking through a skylight? No idea. I tried to look it up and now I can't even remember what I, what it was that I found. I found some sort of nerdy reference. It was like, was it a video game? I can't remember. I have no idea what this means. So if you have any thoughts, let me know. I do like the writers bringing up a good point about insurance, liability, and skylights in Gotham. And it is, of course, very interesting and humorous that, yeah, you wouldn't expect Penguin to really need that because who would do such a thing in the Iceberg Lounge? But, you know, any of the Bat people would have absolutely done that. A bit of a rookie mistake that the Oracles don't check a CC for devices, but I am glad that on that rooftop scene, they actually have their masks back on. Remember, that was a big critique that I had that they're just running around the rooftop with their masks off. Like, what is this? Who are you? Uh, 
The Sword Eater is an interesting character to have, and it actually reminds me of, and I'm going to mention this in my uh, required reading, no, reading recommendations, literature, whoa, it's been so long, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's literature recommendations, and there is a book that I'm going to talk about called The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley, and there are some CD, I was going to say CD dancers. The dancers aren't CD, but they're in a very CD situation. And it kind of reminds me of that where Lulu would be dancing and then she would be bid on by some wealthy guests and taken elsewhere, unfortunately. As we go to the end, I do wonder how Tarsus is not dead. We can, of course, look at this attack look at that it seems like right in the carotid with this mouse but it says later on oh gosh well he says at least i die a martyr for simon's saint and then bab says oh don't be a baby you'll only die if that paper cut gets infected and the final part of this of course we need to talk about this outfit that barbara gordon is wearing because and of course i love this Black Canary, old school Black Canary, which is very cool that Steph is wearing and Cass is in her unicorn robe. So Steph calls her out and says, are you wearing Dick's underwear? And starts laughing and Bab says, so they're comfortable. Whatever. It's morning. I'm going to bed. Okay. So if we look at it, she actually is almost wearing a Robin costume. We see when she stands up that her shirt is old school Robin and we've got the hot pants. And then even if you look up when you see her full leg over the couch, you see the, the pixie shoes. Now, the inconsistency is that in the top two panels, when you can actually see her underwear, she has shorts on or boxers. And then all of a sudden she has briefs on that look the same color tone, I would say. And there are lines, but not the same. So I'm not sure how that exactly happens, especially on the same page. If it's two different pages, I could be like, well, they just forgot. But if the artist is drawing something from one panel, it goes one, two, and then gap, 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 bam. How do you, in three panels, forget what you have drawn? So I am not sure about that because briefs would not fall on your thigh slash your hip like that. So we would have seen more of that. Yeah, I don't know, but there we go. And then I'm happy to say that it does end on a shiver moment. So even though Donovan disappointed me, at least we can add another kiss here. And Haley, of course, is the bystander here witnessing the smooching who knows if it progresses we don't know the lights go off the actual issue ends okay well we're done with this particular story it was two issues i think it went pretty quickly i you know for seer kind of joining up with the back rolls it was a bit of a letdown and there wasn't much of a reckoning between the two of them. 
Part of that, I think, is because Barbara was just acting out of character. And I think there needed to be also some scenes where we see Sierra and the Batgirls first having a discussion. Mm, yeah, this one, I think I liked this one a little bit less than the previous issue, if only because I, I'm confused by some of the things that Barbara was saying and doing. And then with Dick not necessarily wanting to save Seer was interesting. I I mean, it was kind of a joke, but also kind of not a joke. So I don't I don't know. But this might have been Barbara's arc. I don't think it was successful if it was. And did we learn much about her? No, except that she admires a teenage criminal, maybe. So I'm going to give this 7.5 out of 10 cup nudes. Okay. Well, I have no anime watch list recommendations. There are two films that I want to see. One of them is Prelude, the Fruits Basket Prelude. I want to see that. And then the Deer King recently came out, which looks really interesting. So those are two that I want to see. But yeah, I guess when I have the time, you'll find out. So then we move on to literature recommendations. And I always have to remember where I left off. I'm pretty sure I left off with Ever. So Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner, who is the lead singer of Japanese Breakfast which is a band that I saw in the spring, which is very cool. And that is a memoir and it really explores her time after her mother's death, as well as her, her relationship with her mother throughout her life. And then when her mom got sick and uses food as really the, the medium, I think, to look at that relationship. So it's really good. And I listened to it on audiobook. So Michelle's honor was the one who was reading it to me. Then I read Plaza Suite by Neil Simon, which is just one apartment room and three different couples in different, not different time periods, but just like different times. And it is currently on Broadway starring Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Barker, but it sounded like a really interesting look into relationships and an interesting thought experiment to have it all in the same setting. Oh, my European read was Papillon by Henri Charrière, Charrière, Charrière. Mm. And I loved it. I knew I wanted a long book and I had decided like, this is going to be what I'm going to read. And it lasted me the entire trip. And I really enjoyed it. It's intriguing. It's enthralling. It's engaging. So highly recommend I have read now the first two Invincible Compendiums by Robert Kirkman and Corey Walker. I'm interested in watching the show. I've heard it's uber violent. And I'm shocked about this, if only because I feel like there's only an uber violent issue, like one every six. But I have heard, I think Donovan said, and I've started to see it as well, that as the series starts going towards its ending, it trends towards more violence. So they took that tone from the end rather than the beginning. I'm interested to see what that's going to be like. I did have a bit of an issue because Adam Eve at one point, uh, Invincible's away at a war in outer space. And Adam Eve, his girlfriend, once he comes back, she is she has gained some weight. And it's it was interesting because you have this 
larger Adam Eve. I still don't know really how to say it, but a larger Adam Eve than we have experienced. But then on the covers, when you saw her, it was the regular Adam Eve. And I thought, okay, what's going on here? Why aren't you showing her as she is in the comic? And I did send that to Carolyn and thought, you know, what do you think about this? And she had a couple good points. I think one of them being the artist inside and the cover artist may have been different, which I don't think is true. But then the fact that covers are often done maybe in advance. And so they didn't have what was going on in the interiors. And I was happy to send her a future photo of a cover and we got to see larger Adam Eve. So I assume we'll see probably regular Adam Eve soon because she has said, and it's been dealt with really positively because there are these people that, well, one of her friends' friends was saying, oh, you're losing weight. Invincible may love that. And she's like, Invincible loves me for who I am. And it's true. Like Invincible, when he came home, he was just so delighted to see her. And she's like, don't look at me. And he always comments on her um, just being beautiful and perfect the way she is. So there's some real positivity there. But I assume she said that because she's been working out in the sense of actually superheroing that she started to lose weight. So I guess the reason was not overeating. And I had a thought that it was because of depression because she has an abortion while invincible is away. So I thought, oh, it's tied to that or she had a miscarriage or before you even knew about the abortion. I thought, oh, it's because she had a kid, but she didn't. But she said it's because she basically wasn't doing any superheroing while he was away. So two that I'm technically still reading, but I will finish by the time that this comes out is The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley. And she, I think I recommended The Wedding Party. I think it's called The Wedding Party, which I really liked. And so I wanted to try this one out. And I have to say, not only with, I've already kind of talked a little bit about some of the shady stuff that's going on, but there, oh, I didn't like that she did this, but she there was like a near sexual assault because one of the characters got roofied. But luckily, nothing happened, which was good. And then I have also wondered now if there can be sexual assault by proxy, because one of the characters confesses that his father, one of the characters when he was 16, let me say, confesses that his father paid for a prostitute for him so that he could become a man in quotation marks. And the son did not want to do that. And the father forced him to do it. And so I feel like that is a sexual assault, but because the father didn't actually do it, and probably the prostitute was not aware of this whole thing, that it's a sexual assault by proxy. I wonder if such a thing exists. But that kind of seems like if someone else forces you to do that, yeah, that's crazy. Or I guess, is it just sexual assault, even though he's not taking part in the actual act? I don't know. But that was very unfortunate. And it's the first time I thought about it, but it's not the first time I think that I've encountered it in media, which is really sad as well. And then I'm also reading, of course, her research, Jane Slayer, the literary classic with a blood sucking twist by Sherry Browning Irwin and Charlotte Bronte. And you have to say Charlotte Bronte because it is if you've read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, it's like an abridged version of Jane Eyre, like copied and pasted. And then 
Erwin takes passages, like switches them around because Jane Eyre is to a certain extent a vampire hunter. So there are vampires and zombies as far as I know right now. We'll see what else. I think I have maybe like half left. We'll see if there are any other creepers around. But yes, if you're interested in hearing me talk about that, be sure to look for Dear Reader episode nine. I'm 10 is the last episode of that limited series. So episode nine should come out in August. Okay. So that's it for my literature recommendations. Send any questions or comments to backworldoracle at gmail.com. I can't tell you what questions I may have had from the first part of this episode because I'm recording them out of order. But from the second part, do you think that Barbara Gordon admires Seer? And if that's true, do you think that Barbara Gordon admired calculator? Is admire the right word to use? So that's the question I have from this part anyways. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at Backworld Oracle. Subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backworld Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next time, fly on, lovers. What? Fly on, Babs lovers. <laughs> Just plain Barbara Gordon. Masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? <laughs>